Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is Terrio Media. Yo. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow. Yeah. Uh. What's up? Hello, and welcome to the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. This is where everyday people come to get the tips, strategies, and tactics to escape the rat race using real estate. And if you're just getting started and you're looking to take down that first deal, I'm working with a small group of investors inside of our pilot program, Your First Deal. And if you'd like to join us, you may at freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. Freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. Alrighty, so today, speaking of escaping the rat race, I have a special guest on the phone. He worked in Silicon Valley since graduating from Santa Clara University 20 plus years ago. And after wasting time and money in his 20s, he eventually found real estate investing and more specifically buy and hold rental properties and he's never looked back. He focused on his day job and grew his rental property portfolio from a single rental house to financial freedom in 15 years. Now that he no longer has a day job, he shares his story via his self-published book available on Amazon called One Rental at a Time and his YouTube channel by the same name, One Rental at a Time. So please help me welcome to the show, Mr. Michael Zuber. Michael, welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing. Thank you, Matt. Thank you uh, for having me. I look forward to this. Yeah, we have a lot of mutual friends. I've been looking forward to talking to you as well. Um, can you tell me what were you doing just before you got into real estate and what inspired the transition? Ah, great question. So uh, I don't know, uh, you know, everybody's story is different. So uh, I remember it really well. It was my 30th birthday. So, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of decades ago, um, you know, I ended my 20s, you know, in what most people would call a good place, right? You know, went to college, got a good job, had a family, had a child, you know, doing all the right things. Except on my 30th birthday, I turned around and realized I have nothing in the bank, right? I've got no real, no wealth and, and very little cash. Um, you know, I had done some, you know, stock trading and the like, which is what you did in 99 and 98 and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, it went really well for a while and, until it didn't. And when it didn't, it didn't go uh, very well quickly. So, you know, I know what it is to write off $3,000 a year in stock market losses, which is interesting because mm-hmm. they want all their taxes when they get gains right away. But on losses, it's three grand a year. So I quickly went to a bookstore. Yes, an actual physical bookstore uh, to go figure it out and quickly realized that real estate was something real, right? It has real in the name. You could see it. You could touch it. It was, a, it was an inefficient market, meaning there was one thing being sold and bought. And if you sort of got good at it, you could create value in lots of different ways. So, um, you know, that's what I was doing before. And I, I just realized that I needed to do something different. Uh, so I, I remember it quite well, frankly. 
And how long ago was that? <laughs> so that would be, <laughs> all right, let's just ask my age. So it'd be yeah, about 2002. <laughs> yeah, 2002. There you go. Now you 2002. Know. Okay. Yep. So let's see. Yeah, it was just a couple, actually a couple of years. You got a couple of year head start on me as far as when you began. Um, and you wrote a book about it. I guess it kind of documents your journey. Yeah. Yes, I did. Okay. One rental at a time. Yes, and, uh, you know, with characters like you and myself or, you know, there's not too many of us out there with all the wholesaling and fixing and flipping going on. What yeah. was it that uh, convinced you that owning rentals was going to be the path? Well, owning rentals uh, had to be the path because, um, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was 30, I had a job that at least 60 hours a week, I had uh, at least national and some years international responsibilities, which just means I was on an airplane a lot. Uh, I remember quite vividly one of the worst days of my life was getting a platinum Marriott rewards card, mm -hmm. which it meant that I spent a hundred days in a hotel. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's not really good when you have a growing family and, you know, all these other responsibilities. So, um, rentals were the only way I could go. I wasn't going to do 10,000 mailers. I wasn't going to do flipping because it's another job. Plus the market I chose was two and a half hours away. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, buy and hold was really the only option I have, but that's what I wanted. I wanted the slow and steady, right? I had a decent job. I wasn't looking to throw my job away and, you know, go create another one. I wanted wealth. I wanted long-term wealth. Mm -hmm. And that is what buy and hold is. And, yep. um, you know, the book, right? One way at a time is that journey. It's 15 years in the making, but you know, um, it was fun to write and, and, you know, maybe not always fun to live through, but it was fun mm -hmm. to write. <laughs> Is real estate a, a business for you or is this, is it an investment? Oh, it's always been an investment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I spend a couple hours a day now trying to help people get started. You know, the only reason is I've been, I've been out of work a year, right? 53 or 54 weeks now. Mm -hmm. And I needed to find something to do mm -hmm. uh, or else I was going to go back and get another job, right? I was 45 when I left uh, work and, um, I don't know about you, but I still had this ton of energy and had to do type A and, you know, I had to do something. So uh, I have found a passion to help people, hence the book and the YouTube channel. But no, I've never, it's not my business, right? I'm not a flipper. I'm not a wholesaler. Uh, no, I'm a passive investor, right? I have 175 units. So my rent shows up somewhere between the first and the eighth, you know, just with people being people. And, uh, you know, the number that I receive is greater than my mortgages by a significant amount. And, you know, I'm doing okay. Fantastic. Well, congrats. Uh, 175 units. So you yes. said the market is a uh, two mile or excuse me, two hours away. Where do you live and where's your market? Oh, so I'm sorry about that. So I live in the Bay Area, technically Mountain View, California. So right by Google. Uh, and then I invest in Fresno, California, which is two and a half hours away one way, right? So it's a five hour round trip before I see one property. Uh, and the, the interesting thing there is I've actually never spent the night in Fresno, right? I've had some long days, but I've never spent the evening or spent the night there. So uh, some people find that hilarious. <laughs> the whole portfolio is in Fresno then? Yes, Fresno County. It's 98% uh, in, in Fresno City. And then I have the other 2% are in Madera, which is like a bedroom community. Uh, Perfect. So why Fresno? What, why was that the choice? And why did you stay so long? Why are you oh, still that's there? A good, yeah, wow. So lots of answers there. So um, so when I was 30, right, went to the bookstore, what did every book say? Every book said, invest 30 minutes from your house. Mm -hmm. Like that was some magical rule. Right. So I spent a year, literally 52 weekends. We, we spent either a Saturday or a Sunday looking for the magical Bay area street 
that would offer a buy and hold cash flow rental. Mm-hmm. And in the Silicon Valley, we probably haven't had one of those for 20 years, maybe 25. But I didn't know that then because all the books said, you know, buy in your backyard. Right. So I remember sitting down at the kitchen table with Olivia, who's my wife and partner and everything I do, um, and said, what are we going to do? Are we going to, are we going to, Buy, are we going to do this or not? Right. Um, and then she said, well, it's not going to work here. So then we had to decide where do we want to go? So the question obviously is, do we drive, right? Does it have to be driving distance or are we comfortable getting on an airplane, right? Because getting on an airplane unlocks the country, right? We thought Texas, we thought Arizona, we thought Colorado, right? You know, all mm-hmm. of those places. And um, we quickly realized that we were both type A and control freaks. So getting on an airplane to see our rentals was not going to work. So for us, the answer was driving. So then we sit down and go start drawing circles around our home, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours. Fresno's the first market of size, right? It's half a million people that made sense. And by made sense, the only rule I had back then was the 1% rule. So mm-hmm. that first house we bought on Norris Drive was 107 grand. It rented for 1100. Um, so that was the first market of size. There were some smaller markets, you know, 20, 40,000 people. It just wasn't big enough for us. Right. Uh, so Fresno, quite simply, was the first. And then why did we stay? 2008, we looked to make a transition. We, we actually did. We flew to San Antonio, went to Dallas, Austin, um, you know, a couple other cities. But what we came back to when we were on the plane ride home was, A, still don't like getting on a plane to see our stuff. And B, oh my God, we don't want to build a team again. Because that turned out to be the hardest part of all this is, you yeah. know, we had to fire five teams those first three or four years. And I could not imagine having to do that with a plane ride, right? Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, oh, I couldn't imagine. So we stayed in Fresno. We've been loyal to Fresno. Fresno is a huge market. They've offered us lots of opportunities, regardless of the market's cold, hot, um, you know, transitioning. So, um, you know, we are, we are quite happy to be in one market and with one team and leverage and economies of scale and all of that. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, does that market still, can you still hit that 1% rule there today? Oh no. <laughs> yeah, and the 1% rule isn't what I use anymore. In fairness, it was, it was a, you know, back in 2003, 2004, it was all I knew. Um, no, you can not, not usually some multifamily, some kind of fives through tens, maybe, but mm-hmm. though they're, they're probably not the greatest of areas. Um, so people get in trouble following the 1% rule now, but I didn't know any different back then. Mm-hmm. I, I now use yield. So I try to figure out how much cash I have to put out, meaning down payment, closing costs, make ready. Mm-hmm. And I try to get somewhere between five and ten percent back on my money. Ideally, eight percent is the number. And based on where we are in the market, right, two thousand twelve, the number was fifteen percent, right, because everything right. was on sale. Yeah, um, you know, so I, I use something totally different now. But the one percent rule is uh, really not possible today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the one percent rule. When I say that, to me, that's just like, uh, should I look further or not? Yes, that's fair. Like just a quick cursory, like, is this gonna, is that potential or not? And then, of course, you go and do the numbers and. You got it. That's a, that's a fair way to look at it. Yeah. It's one of those, you know, easy things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's totally. not, it's not my decision maker. It just tells me, is it worthy of my time to, to yeah. look further, you know? Yeah. Should I scratch um, that a little bit more? Exactly right. Right. Good, good, right. good point. So you've got 175 units. Are you, what does business look like or what does that look like today? Are you still building? Or are you sustaining? What's the, what's the plan or oh, what's the operation look like? I'm likely going to be growing um, forever, frankly. I am focused on a certain set today. Uh, today, I'm really looking to attract owner finance deals, okay. right? Where I can set up a relationship that's good for them because many of them have depreciated the asset down to zero. They don't want to take the big tax hit. They'd like some cash flow. They want to stop being landlords. So I'm finding if I can find an owner finance deal, and it doesn't matter if it's a house, a small or a big apartment, uh, I'll chase those down all day long, all the time. 
because mm-hmm. um, usually you can work out the numbers and interest rates and payoffs and all this stuff where, where it makes a whole bunch of sense. Um, and then I've gone back and I've, for the first time, banks are lending, man. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the banks were turned off for me for almost a decade, right? Because I own too much. You're, you're too big a risk. The, you know, the rule of four, rule of 10, whatever you wanted to follow mm-hmm. didn't make sense. So I, for the first time, refied six um, small multis, right? Duplexes through quads in the last six months. Um, you know, basically to take out private and hard money that I established through 2012 through 14. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, levered up on those and I just paid off a bunch of houses. So uh, in my my base portfolio, we are repositioning debt. Uh, we are creating assets that are free and clear that, oh my gosh, if Armageddon comes again, you can't take these. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we're looking to add owner finance deals forever, probably. Got it. So building those 1,775 units, what was... Uh the primary source or maybe the best source for acquiring those deals? Yeah, I acquired all of my deals out of the MLS except two until the last 12 months. Again, because I didn't know any different, right? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have any special access. I wasn't doing mailers. I wasn't doing all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just didn't know any better. Uh, right. So they, they all came out of the MLS. Where, where the number really jumped though, which is really the crux of your question, I think, is right around 2008, we came to an inflection point in our business. I think we had seven properties and eight doors. So six, seven, six houses, seven houses and a duplex. Mm-hmm. But we knew we weren't done. We needed another one. And we just couldn't buy anything, right? My accounting brain would not let me buy another one because they wouldn't cash flow. For example, that house I told you we bought at 107 and rented mm-hmm. for 1100. We sold that year uh, for 267 or 265 mm-hmm. and it rented for 1100 right? That's not the 1% rule. That's not even the half percent rule. <laughs> right. right. So it just doesn't make sense. So that's kind of how crazy it got. But what we uncovered just through conversations and networking is uh, the five to 20 units. They were underpriced. So we 1031 that house. Uh, we took all the artificial equity, which we didn't know at the time, but turned out to be artificial. 1031 into a five unit apartment building. We bought it for 223. We sold it for 263. So get that 40K less but it rented for three grand versus 1100. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, if one is good, more is better. So we sold, we 1031 all of our houses and duplex and went into small multis. We went to, from eight to 80 units in about a 12, 12 month period. No new capital. All the equity was moved, no new capital. Um, mm-hmm. And then we bought a lot during the downturn. We bought houses up through 18 unit of buildings in the downturn. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we, that was the big growth, right? Eight to 80 via mm-hmm. the 1031 exchange. Got it. Okay. So that was my next question. So MLS was your source for the deals. Mm-hmm. The the funding really came through 1031 and, and trading up, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was no new capital. Okay. So these new deals that you're looking for, you're looking for the seller finance deals. Uh, what is your method for looking for those? So I'm a huge networker. I've been in sales my whole life. So I tell everybody and their uh, mother what I look for. So I call agents that control inventory. I talk to wholesalers now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a decent network after 15 years and, and lots of people. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's word of mouth and that brings about five, uh, opportunities a month to kind of review. Some are just overpriced or don't make sense or they're not mm-hmm. really owner finance, but it's certainly enough to, to move forward and, you know, do one or two every you know couple of months. That's awesome. So what trend are you seeing in your, maybe in your, uh, your business or your market that has you either excited or concerned and how is it changing the way you're doing business? Oh, that's a good question. Nobody's nobody's asked that yet. So I've lived. I've What's lived your favorite this color, Mike. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, purple, <laughs> purple. Um, so here we go. So the market's changing, 
you and I have been through this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, here's what people don't understand, right? So first off, if you've been investing, wholesaling, flipping, frankly, buy and holding for the last five years, you do not know what a changing market looks like. And mm-hmm. if you hold the wrong inventory, you have hard money, short-term debt, whatever, it can go bad fast. Yep. I saw somebody worth $10 million in 08 lose it all because the house of cards or Jenga fell apart mm-hmm. because of that. Um, so watch out is my word of advice, but I'm excited, right? Um, I've made most of my money in changing markets. So what I suspect is going to happen, right? So I've seen the rollover before. I think it's happened certainly in the high end, uh, high end being one and a half X the median for whatever market you're in. So my median is 250. So anything like 325 and above has already started to fall. Mm-hmm. I think that comes down the chain, probably gets to the median. And um, you're going to see listings increase. You're going to see days on market increase. You're going to see percent of price cuts increase. And all of this is going to create the press and online media to get negative on real estate where they've been positive the last five years. Yep. And that's just going to be the self-fulfilling prophecy and it's going to be awesome. Uh, I am going to take huge advantage of this and buy lots of stuff because all the owner occupants are going to disappear. They're going to suddenly start saying real estate is scary and I'm going to be licking my chops because what I'm doing to change my business is I'm already offering 10% less than I was in last June. Mm-hmm. And if this gets as bad as I think it will, just from a press perspective, yeah. it might be 15% less yep. and I'll be fine. It's a great time when markets change. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it as well. You know, we do a lot of direct to seller marketing. And so we're talking directly to sellers, private sellers. And, you know, probably more so in the last couple of years than any other time that I've been doing this, there's been pushback to like, well, why should I sell it to you at a discount? I'll just give it to a realtor. It'll be gone in a week. Yeah, exactly. And for the most part, they're right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you unless know? it's like got a burned out kitchen or something. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking for some days on market to extend. I'm looking for some more inventory. I'm looking for the bad press to beat up the owners a little bit. And, yeah. and uh, you know, that's the opportunity, right? Absolutely. You're going to clean it up. I think the next three to four months are kind of, because what happens is, Prices are sticky on the way down, mm-hmm. right? Sellers kind of just hold on, you know, stick their nails in and go, oh, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. Oh, the winter's bad. Nobody buys in the winter. I'll hold, I'll hold. Mm-hmm. Then the spring comes and they realize the buyers still aren't showing. Woo. Then comes summertime, you know, you're going to see monsters price drops because they're mm-hmm. going to, most of these sellers have to sell for a reason. Yep. And that reason doesn't go away. Um, so it's, it's coming. But again, prices stick on the way down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're like an elevator on the way up, but they're pretty sticky on the way down. So it's coming. Yeah, I agree. And I, I kind of like how it's working right now because it's not a crash, right? It's not a big giant. The bottom ha- isn't, hasn't fallen out. It's coming down slowly. And what I think that allows us all to do is to still conduct business without waiting for owners to uh, get with reality, right? Yeah. Sometimes there, if it's, there's a crash, I mean, there could be a four to six month lag before they even wake up and start realizing they should start changing their tune. Well, yeah, that is, well, again, having been through the crash, um, mm-hmm. so I, a, I'm not calling a crash. All right, if anybody no. takes away from anything I've said, I'm not calling a crash. I'm calling a slowdown. There will certainly be a reduction in the high end um, and buyers are going to disappear because of the press. But people having 30-year mortgages with a three on it aren't going to be in a rush to sell, right? right. They, they, they can hold that. Um, because the last crash was a financing crash. It just happened to be tied to assets and you know the asset was real estate. So it, it's mm-hmm. very different. Got it. So let's say in the, in the last, uh, I don't know that this is a different conversation I'm having with you just because 
mostly I'm usually I'm talking to like real estate entrepreneurs and business owners that are out there, you know, doing high volume and everything. Mm. But I'm um, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm just trying to like uh, make my my question more relevant to you. Sure. What is the uh, what is your biggest win in the last five years, and what have you mm. learned from it? You know, so there's there's lots of things that you have to do as a buy and hold guy, right? You have to grow your network. You have to do all of those things, but you also have to be a person of your word. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of the biggest wins is, uh, you know, I bought an 18 unit building zeroed out during the crash mm-hmm. and, and how that comes about is because I was, I bought another 10 unit building, uh, with very small down payment, like 20 grand or something, just basically covering the closing costs. It wasn't even towards the purchase. Mm-hmm. And, um, because of that relationship, the bank president talked, it was a local community bank. They talked to another local community bank and they reached out to me and, and we structured a deal based on my reputation because I didn't have the, I didn't have a 10, I didn't have 10% down to buy it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we worked out an agreement. Uh, we put a little bit of reserves for repairs in an escrow account. And because my reputation mattered and I'd proven I'd done probably by that time, 30 or 40 turned slumlord into pride of ownership rentals. Um, that deal came to me and it, it, it was, you know, first right of refusal is awesome when you're an investor off market, you know, they're going to provide the lending, right? No, no credit checks, you know, all that stuff. Um, yep. That was, uh, that felt pretty good. And frankly, still feels pretty good that the bank was willing to do that. Nice. All right. So the other side of the coin in the last five years, what's been your biggest mistake and what did you learn from it? Oh, I remember a house I bought um, with a realtor who I no longer work with swore up and down that it was a two family lot, you know, two houses on one lot, which is uh, what I was buying at the time. Uh, turned out that it was a, um, not even a garage. It was like a shack that was converted that the city already red tagged. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought it at X because I was traveling around the world doing my day job. This person I'd worked with for years. Um, I just trusted them blindly, which no matter how many times you do it, when you're putting money on the line, I should not have done that, but I did. And uh, I, lo and behold, find out like a week after closing, uh, they, the red tag is forwarded to me and I have to spend, I don't know, five grand removing this structure. And then, of course, I paid too much because I was buying it as a two family, which turned into be a one family. And yeah, that still stings. I still own that thing as of today. Uh, and I remember every day I freaking pay that mortgage payment that, that I, uh, I, was, I was stupid. <laughs> yes, we have those humbling moments, don't we? In our- yes, we do. Every every month, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, gift there, the lesson that keeps on giving. Yes, sir. Um, so now you're, you're helping other people do this as well, right? Um, and I'm sure, you, you know, when you start doing that, your, your reticular activator is fired. And, uh, you know, you start noticing what other people do with regards to teaching and helping and coaching. And there's so many different options out there for people these days. I mean, every day in my Facebook feed, there's a brand new guru of the day running their ads, telling he's sharing how he's going to give you my, the secrets to wholesaling. <laughs> and uh, so I'm ask, I'm curious now that uh, you're kind of uh, in, in that world a little bit. Sure. What is one piece of advice you frequently hear being given that just kind of makes you cringe? Oh, well, like you, I mean, I, and I saw this back in 08, anybody who wants to make the real estate game seem easy or cookie cutter or simple, mm-hmm. uh, run away from, right? Yeah. One of the first things I will tell anyone is real estate investing will test you. You will have bad days, right? You are working in a business where people are involved and lots of people are involved mm-hmm. and people are people, right? Stuff happens, bad things. You got good and bad, just like the deal we just talked about, right? I, 
I had a relationship with someone for probably five to seven years that I valued. Mm-hmm. And he clearly didn't. He saw getting a commission check because whatever was going on in his life was, was worth destroying a relationship. You know, and I pay the price still to this day. You know, real estate will test you. I don't know what the right word is. Working in the real estate investing business is simple, I guess, logically, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not easy. It is challenging. You have your bad days. I, the only thing I can guarantee you if you get in this business is you will have bad days. Mm-hmm. Right? The, yeah. If you hold on long enough, the days turn good, but there are bad days. There's a very popular, what that you brought that up, there's a very popular, uh, oh, popular, but well known. Um, mm-hmm real estate investing guru, been around for a very, very long time. To this day, his Facebook ads are saying, you know, never leave your house and with the click of a button, you can do this business. I'm just like- Mail, Mailbox money. I Yeah. No to thing. this day, I'm just like, come on, man. Really? But uh, yeah, we're all looking for the, the easy button. What do I have here next for you? What's in your future that has you most excited and why? Um, so again, I'm lucky enough to be in a position where- you know, my, you know, the money that shows up pays all my bills, right? I don't have a lavish lifestyle. I'm not driving a Ferrari or anything stupid. I, I'm just, that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. Just, I can live a simple life and be fine. So um, I've had to create goals because I'm a type A goal-oriented sales guy that if I don't have a goal, I'm like lost, right? Mm-hmm. So I have two goals. No, goal number one is I want to create something that outlives me by a hundred years, right? Think about that. Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, I had to write a book. So I wrote the book. It's our story. It was written in a way that ideally somebody in a hundred years could pick up on it and get at least what I thought the rules of the game are, the rules of the road. That was important to me. The other one is just in case books go away or paper's gone or whatever, I created that YouTube channel, same name of the book, right? Called One Rental at a Time. Mm-hmm. I now post at least daily, at least one video a day, usually interviews much like this or, or a topic um, because I seriously want something to outlive me by a hundred years. And that keeps me interested. Then the other one is a thousand. I'm trying to create uh, something that helps a thousand people get started. I think too many people are stuck on zero uh, mm-hmm. and specifically buy and hold, right? This isn't necessarily for wholesalers or flippers, or I'm just going to talk about what I know, right? which is buy and hold. I'm trying to help people to get started. And, and my story is let's just get to four, right? Let's get you to four rentals. Cause if you can get to four rentals, you're going to decide if this business is for you or not. But frankly, if you only ever get to four, your life's fundamentally different in 20 or 30 years. You have four assets that are owned free and clear. You've had inflation in rents. You know, you could sell them. You could refi them. There's just so many options that come if you have four that that's my goal, right? So I do a lot of talking about four. I found that when I go out and talk, if I talk about financial independence or freedom or any of that, they applaud. They give me high fives and take selfies, but nobody does anything, right? Because they don't think they can do it. So that's why I've modified my message to be, let's just talk about getting to four, right? Let me help you get to four. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at with my goals and what keeps me excited every day, frankly. Got it. You know, when you say most people are stuck at zero, which I have observed as well, what do you think is their biggest reason for being stuck there? Uh, so I don't know if there's a single one. If there is, I haven't figured it out yet. There, there are several. One is they're scared mm-hmm. or, or another word for scared is risky, right? Um, you know, because some people still remember 08, right? They, they had a family member. They had someone that had real estate investing and it ended badly, mm-hmm. right? If you were in that situation, if you were a millennial and you saw your parents lose a house or something, that memory is probably not going away, right? That's, you know, if you were in high school or something that, you know, that that's going to sting for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is, I think, I think a lot of people like being excited, 
but they don't like doing work, mm. right? So they like talking about doing investing. And this could be real estate, it could be stocks, it could be Bitcoin, it could be whatever. They like being excited, but they don't want to do the work, mm-hmm. right? So they don't, they don't want to drive two and a half hours to Fresno, go look at 10 properties and write two offers, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm going to lose a Saturday? Yeah. You know, so yeah, this takes work, right? It's not, you know, you can't just order it on your app on your phone. Um, so those, those are some things um, that I think, like, like what keeps people on zero? Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right there where um, people like to be excited, right? Yep. And, and sure, I mean, a lot of people, you know, when it shows up to, uh, to knocking at your front door dressed up like overalls, <laughs> right? Yeah. That, that old quote. Um, but I also think, to speak on the excitement factor that a buy and hold house that cash flows $200 a month is not exciting. No, it's not. It didn't get exciting for me for a decade, almost 12 years. Mm-hmm. Right? Think about that, right? Even at 80 doors, it wasn't exciting, right? Mm-hmm. It was, oh, great. We could, you know, we could pay both our car payments with it. Right. All right. It's, you know, interesting, but it doesn't move the needle. Buy and hold landlording is really not about cash flow, you know, positive until you get, you know, like I said, 15 years in. However, our net worth exploded, right? right? If we wanted, we could have sold out five or six years ago and had multiple seven figures. That wasn't for us. Wealth is created in this business by holding stuff. I'll ask you this question because you're high volume. What mm-hmm. would have happened if you kept every fourth property you wholesaled or flipped? Well, we right? did. So you're, oh, right. oh, I, I talked yeah. to lots of guys are like, God, I wish I did that. No. All right. I no, to your point though, I always, that was actually what set me off on a buy and hold strategy was oh, awesome. a RIA meeting that I had gone to, oh, probably a decade ago now. And I'd heard it, a version of this a few different times at different meetings. And that one meeting that I walked in and there was a, a guy was in, in, I don't know, he had to be in his nineties. He was really old <laughs> and uh, he was sharing about his fortune that he had built. Like he had this really unique strategy of building or doing multifamily, one bed and one bath multifamilies. Oh yeah. It's like the type of thing that everybody runs away from, but he's like, why are you running away from this? You got to do this, 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 and it's a gold mine. And uh, (laughs) one of the, one of those Q and a time, one of the people in the audience had asked that, uh, you know, if you were to do it all over again, what would you do differently? And he just said, I wish I would have sold less and held more. And, you know, me coming out of the music business, licking my wounds and and thinking I knew everything for me to pay attention this time around to what, other people's mistakes and apply those towards the future for myself. That was like the perfect time to get that message. And that's why I do hold today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you a story that, that got me much the same way, kind of like that aha moment. Uh, you know, when, when you're getting started and you spend a lot of time on airplanes, you have a lot of time to read, right? So mm-hmm. I read about the uh, savings and loan crisis, probably five or six different investor stories. I wrote about the oil shock in Texas and whenever that was in the eighties, I guess. But the thing that I took away from all those books, and they're probably 20 different books and stories was, they all said a version of, I wish I bought more. Mm-hmm. I wish I bought more. So when my opportunity came, which was the 08 crash, or maybe it was 10 to 12, whatever year you want to call it, yeah. I bought every freaking thing I could. I was willing to put a loan on my paid off cars. I was willing to get a second on my house. I was going to do anything I could to buy everything I could. And uh, the, there was only one deal we didn't, quite cobbled together, but I gave it to a friend. So everything we found got done. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy that I can say that today. No regrets. Awesome. Well, Michael, I can see why we have so many mutual friends because uh, <laughs> uh, we are birds of a feather, I guess is how you say it. Um, nice. It's very much a pleasure to meet you and uh, we should do it again. 
maybe we'll be able to cross paths and meet in person. Um, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? So the best way to get in touch with me is just go to YouTube and type in one rental at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, you do me a favor, please subscribe. Uh, we just crossed the 1500 subscriber level. So I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, and again, I, yeah, I post daily. Uh, I leave my email all the time on those videos. It's just M as in Michael Zuber, Z-U-B-E-R at, guess what? One rental at a time.com. Uh, Everything I do. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, shocking. Uh, and then um, if you really want to hear the story, right, it is, it is this book. And if you do me a favor, if you, Matt, just send me your address, I will mail you an autographed copy. Oh, sure. Perfect. Thank you. Of course. Super. Well, it's been a pleasure. Let's do it again. Let's stay in touch. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. You bet. Alrighty, so uh, that's Mr. Michael Zuber. You can go check out his YouTube channel, One Rental at a Time. He's got a book in, in Amazon of the same title. And uh, I will see you next week. If you want to do deals, catch me next week. And catch us on our YouTube channel. We give it away five days a week. And if you'd like to go fast, go to reiace.com. Alrighty, until next week, to your success. God bless. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. Yo. Take care. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. Huh. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.